You know, in Philippians chapter 2, it talks about Jesus humbling himself. Uh, this was not a humiliation by subtraction in that he subtracted some of his deity, but rather it was a humiliation by addition. He added humanity. And he subjected himself to the normal cycles and processes of life and the many trials and troubles that come with life on this earth. Now, Jesus gave up the glory and the worship that was his in heaven to live a life where he was misunderstood and mistreated. And while he was here on earth, this is the key a theological phraseology, he surrendered the independent exercise and control of his divine prerogatives, including his attributes. And this control was surrendered to the Holy Spirit, who would act as the mediator between his deity and his humanity. Sorry to start so deeply, uh, but this is the glory of the incarnation. But we must understand Okay, and if this is all you take away from tonight, I'll be happy. Okay, Jesus did not cease to be God in any way. Okay, when Jesus was on earth, he did not cease to be God in any way. Jesus did not give away some of his attributes. It's not like he left the omnipotence, eternality, immutability in heaven and just took a few with him. He did not become less God. But he added perfect humanity to full deity and now for another theological sentence but again this is very important okay jesus christ is fully and perfectly god and fully and perfectly man two natures united in one person forever without division mixture or parts okay, and that's basically borrowed from the council of chalcedon okay so that is who Jesus is. And what I've endeavored to do is to encapsulate in about 250 words what would take many large volumes to unpack in detail. But what I'd like to focus on tonight is the humanity of Jesus, because this is what happened at Christmas. God took upon himself humanity. And I want us to consider what this means practically, okay, that Jesus took on flesh. Now we could approach this in a number of different ways and how I would like to approach it is by considering just a couple of verses from Luke chapter 2. So if you could please open your Bible uh, to Luke chapter 2 and I'd like to read verse 40 and verses 51 and 52. So Luke chapter 2 and verse 40 says, and the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And then we have the account of boy Jesus in the temple. And then we come down to verse 51. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, uh, please help us uh, as we study uh, our Lord and Savior. Help us to understand uh, who he is accurately and uh, fathom what he has done for us. And uh, Lord, may this result in our love and, and adoration for Jesus uh, to increase. 
uh, please help us. Uh, we are considering uh, very, very deep things. Um, so, so we desperately need your help. Please grant that to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Jesus um, is both. This is written at the top of your outline sheet. Okay, fully and perfectly God, fully and perfectly man. Two natures united in one person. Okay, so that, that's the key. Two natures, one person forever. Okay, this is an eternal union. Jesus still has humanity now. Okay, it's now glorified, but he still possesses it. And this union is without division, confusion, parts, or mixture. And the reason why we have so many clarifiers is that throughout church history, there has been all kinds of of errors um, a lot of them have got a name about this long and it's often they would deny the deity of jesus or they'll deny the humanity of jesus or they'll deny they'll say that jesus was you know, two persons or they just have one nature or that there's all kinds of these weird and wonderful um, heresies and there has been many church councils to debunk those heresies and hence we come up with without division confusion parts or mixture and although our minds our very finite minds we cannot fully fathom this okay? we're not going to understand this uh, completely uh, but that's okay but even if we can't fully comprehend it we are called to believe it because that is what the Bible clearly teaches and if our finite minds cannot if sorry if our finite minds could fully fathom God, he would not be God. Okay, because we've looked at some of his attributes. Okay, he is infinite, he is incomprehensible. So the fact that okay, we don't fully comprehend it and we never will, that's okay. Yet, it's very important for us to grasp this you know, the best we can with God's help as finite creatures, because otherwise we could end up in great theological error like so many other people have in church history okay i'm pretty confident in saying there'd be more doctrinal error around the person of christ than anything else in theology and that's not surprising because satan realizes okay if you undermine christ there's no christianity so the fact that that is attacked the most you know that makes sense from his perspective but hence it's vital that we understand what the bible teaches and that we believe it now when it comes to understanding how the divine and the human relate in the person of jesus again this is a very difficult thing for us to, to fathom okay. jesus is god so that means he's all-knowing but in his humanity he learned things Jesus in his deity is omnipresent, and yet in his humanity, he's in one place at one time. So, so how do we assemble that most difficult puzzle? I'd like to share with you two key theological statements to keep in mind, which I trust help us get our minds around it at least somewhat. Okay, and, these are, and these are in your notes. So number one. In the incarnation, Jesus surrendered the independent control and use of the divine attributes. This was surrendered to the Holy Spirit and they would be used in harmony with the will of God. Jesus kept all the divine attributes, 
He would cease to be God if he no longer possessed them. But he gave up the independent control and use of the divine prerogatives and lived like mankind according to the will of the Father in the power of the Spirit. Okay, so that is what Jesus was like on earth. Now, number two, and this is a really important point, which you'll see why in a minute. Okay, in the area that we live, okay, we're surrounded by Muslims, we need to understand this because this will debunk one of their key things against Jesus. Okay, number two. Not all things in Scripture which are spoken of Christ are spoken with respect to his... Sorry, let me say that. Not all things in Scripture which are spoken of Christ are spoken with respect to his entire person, but in respect to the one nature or the other united in that one person. So in the incarnation, Jesus has two natures, divine and human, okay, but he's one person. But the scriptures can speak of just one of those natures. And this is why this is really important. When Jesus died, it was his humanity, not his deity. And if you talk to a Muslim and you present Jesus as God, they, they will say, well, he died. So we can't be God. How do we explain that? This is how we explain it. Okay? Jesus died in his humanity, not in his deity now when jesus learnt and when jesus grew this speaks to his humanity not his deity okay he can't learn in his deity but he could in his humanity so although jesus is one person that's vital it is possible for the scriptures to speak of one nature and not the other nature now, these two theological points help us at least slightly as we try to plunge the infinite depths of the crystal clear waters of the glorious person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what I want to do tonight is hopefully get a little bit simpler. I know I've started very complex, but I'd like to consider at least in part what we mean when we say that God took upon himself humanity. Okay, well, what does that look like? in day-to-day life. You know, the Bible has very little to say about the first 30 years of Jesus' life. And that's not surprising because we need to remember the Bible tells one story. That story is the redemption of mankind. And although every part and every moment of Jesus' life is crucial, some elements contribute much more to the grand narrative of Scripture. And it was never the Bible's intention to give us a day-by-day account of every moment of Jesus' life. You know, we don't have his personal diary where where he outlines what he did every day, although that would be fascinating. Uh, But if the Bible did that, imagine how big the Bible would be. Okay, there would be a very large book. Now, the Gospel of Luke, it, it provides us with some exclusive content. And verse 40 gives us what is a summary of the first 12 years of Jesus' life. And then verse 52, which is a very similar statement, it summarizes his life from age 12 to the beginning of his public ministry at 30. And this is about all that we have, along with the accounts of Jesus as a 12-year-old boy in the temple. That's recorded in Luke chapter 2. And that is a key moment because it's clear at that point that Jesus is aware of who he is. 
Okay, he knows that he's the God-man, that he is the Messiah. He says that God is his father. Okay, God's my father. No one else spoke about God in that way at this point in time. And he also says he's about doing the father's business. So this is a monumental moment. When you think about Jesus in the temple, the reason why that's monumental is because at that point in time, Jesus understood who he was. Okay, he knew he was the God-man. But these two summary statements, which we have in the Gospel of Luke, they're very full with meaning, and they offer us some very helpful insights okay, when it comes to understanding what life was like for Jesus as the God-man. And I want us to see four ways in which Jesus humbled himself in taking humanity upon himself. And the first way is that Jesus subjected himself to the normal physical growing processes. Okay, Jesus came as a real man, not just as someone who appeared to be a man. Okay, that's one heresy that's existed in church history. They said he looked like a man, but he wasn't a real man. Okay, that's not the case at all. But rather, Jesus was subject to all the ordinary and natural physical development, developmental sorry, processes. So Jesus came as a baby. Jesus came as a real baby, one who was completely dependent on his mother. Again, I'll allow that to sink in. You know, here's Jesus, he's God, and he's completely dependent on someone else to sustain his humanity. Jesus cried to be fed and changed. Okay, it's not a sin to cry. You know, sometimes people say, well, Jesus never cried. That's a sin. Well, no. Most of our children, when they cry, probably is sin. But when they're a little baby, no. How do they communicate? It's by crying. Jesus cried. Jesus, cut, Jesus needed cuddles. He slept most of the time away in his early months. Okay, he got wind. He needed to be burped. He threw up. He's just like an ordinary little baby. Okay, Jesus came helpless and completely dependent on others. That, that's a staggering thought. And Jesus went through the normal growing processes. He needed to put on weight. He learnt the sound of his mum's voice. He gooed and he guard. He learnt to sit up. He crawled. As his strength increased, he learnt to walk. Jesus went through the usual developmental steps. And this continued throughout his childhood and into adulthood. He was subject to the normal processes of human growth and development. So he learnt to run. He developed his fine motor skills. He grew taller. Perhaps his parents used to mark his growth on the wall in their family home. I'm not sure. But whatever age he was at, he was subject to the usual changes and developments of that particular age. So Jesus was not some Superman baby, toddler or child, but his development resembled that of any other child. And hence Luke puts it very simply in verse 40. He says, and the child grew. So Jesus subjected himself to the typical developmental processes. He was born just as all human babies are born. And understand, this was a normal birth with all of the normal inclusions, blood, placenta, and all. He grew through childhood to adulthood just as the other children grew. His parents watched him grow up probably way too quickly, just like the rest of us parents. Okay, it was completely normal. The only difference being 
He had no sin. So his development was not impacted by it. But it was still normal physical development. And when Jesus hit adulthood, we still see that he had normal physical needs. And we see throughout the Gospels that Jesus got hungry, got thirsty, he got tired. Okay, that this is a real humanity. It's not a mere outward shell. And why, why is this so important? Well, it means that he could go to the cross and his real body was beaten, broken and bled. His real body took upon itself the sin of mankind and it was a real body that died. So this is why real humanity is absolutely necessary because it qualified him to be a real savior from real sin for real humanity. But for our purposes tonight, I just want us to think about the astonishing reality that Jesus, okay, remember who he is. Jesus is the creator and the sustainer of the universe, Colossians chapter one. And he subjected himself to the processes of normal physical development. He submitted himself to the processes that he designed. He submitted to, and he experienced every stage of human development. That is stunning condescension. That, that's incredible. And this is part of what it means when we say Jesus became man. So number two, Jesus subjected himself to the normal learning processes. You know, I think for the most part, Jesus being a man physically uh, is something that we comprehend. But a part of the incarnation that is probably not understood as readily is that Jesus had to learn. You know, in his humanity, Jesus was subject to all the learning laws and processes. Jesus discovered new things as a baby, such as his fingers and his toes. He had to learn how to talk, how to count. He had to learn the alphabet, learn sounds and syllables. As he got older, he learned the customary academic disciplines of the time. Jesus was taught how to read. He was taught literacy, numeracy, history, language, science, and whatever disciplines were taught in Nazareth. So he was not born omniscient in his humanity and i think this is where people can be mistaken with the incarnation jesus was not just some physical shell of humanity but had the mind of god so it's not like he he, lit, he looked like a man on the outside but the internal hardware that was all deity but rather he possessed a full humanity okay it needs to be a full humanity in order to die for us otherwise it's not a real humanity Okay, real humanity includes intellectual growth. So he subjected himself to the rigors of learning. He was taught things that he did not know. Again, that, that's a staggering thought. So Jesus' parents needed to educate him just like ordinary parents. He needed teachers. He needed education. Jesus was taught carpentry by Joseph. Okay, these were skills that needed to be learnt and developed okay this was a normal life okay this is what jesus lived you know i think sometimes we can think you know his first day on the tools 
He's a master craftsman. But you know, that, that's not what it was like. He had to learn the skills. It's not a sin to learn skills. Okay, I think sometimes we think, okay, Jesus is sinless. So that means he already has all of this mastered. Well, in his humanity, he doesn't. Okay, he had to learn things. He had to practice. He, he had to develop certain skills. Now, one writer explains this like so, and this is in your notes. He said, uh, Jesus had a human mind subject to the same laws of perception, memory, logic and development as our own. He observed and learned and remembered and applied. This would have been impossible if he had been born in possession of a complete body of wisdom and knowledge, okay, omniscience. Instead, he was born with the mental equipment of a normal child, experienced the usual stimuli, and went through the ordinary processes of intellectual development. And again, allow that to, to sink in. That, that's astonishing. Jesus required help from others to learn. Jesus had to study. He had to memorize. He had to grasp key concepts, practice new skills. And again, he learns at the normal rate. It wasn't like he was doing complex calculus at preschool. Okay, that, that's a false concept. But there is one key difference with Jesus learning. Okay, he's the only one in history to do this without sin. And I think it's here where his sinlessness would have made a huge difference. Okay, Philip Ryken put it like this. He said his development was unhindered by depravity. And thus his intellect advanced to its full capacity. He was never lazy, but always tried to learn as much as he could. He exercised good stewardship of his intellectual abilities, achieving the maximum potential of the human mind. So Jesus wasn't hindered by sin in any way whatsoever when it came to learning and studying. Okay, he wasn't lazy. Okay, he wasn't scrolling through social media instead of doing his homework like today. Okay, he worked hard. And his learning potential was not impacted or hindered by the depravity of man in any way. And yet in his humanity, he was not omniscient. He possessed the limitations of the human mind and was subject to the usual learning processes and stages. And again, this is astonishing. The one who is all-knowing in his deity subjected himself to the rigors of learning. He was subject to the normal laws and processes of intellectual development. So this is part of what we mean when we say Jesus became man. Now, number three, Jesus subjected himself to the normal relational developmental processes. But Jesus had to learn how to relate to people. He had to navigate the complexities of human emotions he had to discover and develop friendships. Okay, all this relational and emotional complexities had to be learned by Jesus. Okay, we're told in verse 52 that Jesus grew in favor with man. In other words, he developed relationally, grew in his ability to relate to fellow mankind. And he also submitted to the relational authority structures that God had ordained. Okay, the account that's wedged between verse 40 and verse 52 is Jesus in the temple. I'm sure you remember the story. Mary and Joseph are on their way home and then they realize, oh no, where's Jesus? 
and that's every parent's worst nightmare. They're worried sick, and uh, eventually they find him in the temple. And Jesus doesn't understand why they're so shocked and surprised. This was the obvious place for him to be. He was in his father's house doing his father's business. And as I mentioned previously, Jesus at this point in his humanity knew who he was. Okay, so, so he understands who he was. He understands that he's God. And yet despite that, he submitted to Mary and Joseph. Okay, he returned home with them. 12-year-old boy, he doesn't argue. There's no attitude. There's just swift and sweet obedience. And this shows us that despite being God, he submitted to the relational authority that was ordained by God. And again, I think that's a rebuke for us when we struggle to submit to authority. Because if Jesus could submit to authority, and uh, he's God, uh, he's perfect, and yet he would still submit to the authority figures in his life, there's no excuse for us to not submit to the authority figures in our life. So Jesus had to learn um, how to relate to and understand others. He was respectful and submissive to his parents, his teachers, religious leaders, other authority figures. But again, how amazing that the one who created mankind submits to learning and understanding what mankind is like. To discovering that the varying emotions that we have and how to relate to it. And there is another element here that's impossible for us to fathom. Jesus is sinless, and yet he's trying to understand how to relate to those who are sinful. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Obviously, I don't know what that's like, okay? but, but that would have to present some real difficulties and challenges. But again, this confirms that this is our real humanity. He had to learn how to relate to others and to navigate the often troubled waters of human emotions and relationships. So this is yet another part of what we mean when we say Jesus became man. And number four, Jesus subjected himself to spiritual development. And this is probably the point that's the most mind-blowing. Jesus, in his humanity, grew in spiritual understanding and in his relationship with God the Father. Okay, so, so again, let, let's think about that. The Holy Trinity enjoyed perfect, harmonious fellowship and relationship for all eternity. Okay, that, that's why God can be love. Okay, you, you need a, a relationship for love, and there has been an eternal relationship in the Trinity. Okay, so Jesus has been in this eternal fellowship for all eternity, and yet in the incarnation, in his humanity, Jesus had to develop this spiritual relationship. Okay, Jesus increased in favor with God, verse 52. So he developed spiritually. Okay, what, what would have this looked like? Well, Jesus had to learn the scriptures. And this would have started in the home. And I actually think this is an often overlooked point, is that Mary and Joseph were very good parents. Okay, God the Father would not have trusted the care of his son into some dodgy parents, okay, into some terrible derelict home. Okay, and the little that the scriptures say about Mary and Joseph make it very clear they were spiritual people who loved the Lord and lived their lives in harmony with his word. 
And this meant that Jesus first learnt the scriptures in the home. He would have attended the local synagogue where he was exposed to the scriptures. And he grew spiritually closer to God the Father as he spent time in the word and as he prayed. Okay, and again, this is astonishing. What, what we have here is Jesus submitting himself to the normal means of grace. And again, Jesus wasn't affected by sin. And this would have had a huge impact in this particular sphere. Okay, his appetite and his desire for spiritual things was always present. Okay, whereas ours can fluctuate because of the sin that we struggle with. Yeah, and this appetite and desire is very evident when at 12 years old, he's in the temple uh, with the teachers. He's learning from them, but they're also impressed by his grasp of theology and spiritual truth. You know, you don't see too many 12-year-olds today wanting to discuss deep things of theology. Okay, so this is certainly evidence of sin-free spiritual development. Yet nevertheless, Jesus had to learn spiritual truth. He learnt about God's dealings with Israel in the past. No doubt this was taught to him by Mary and Joseph and the local priest. Okay, think about this point. He learnt about the appearances of the pre-incarnate Christ, which was him. Okay, that's an interesting thought, isn't it? Okay. I never thought about that until I was writing. I was like, whoa, that's, that's interesting. He was taught the Ten Commandments. He learned songs from a young age that taught spiritual truths. He memorized scripture. He meditated. He grew and he developed spiritually. And he grew closer to God. Okay, that this is all part of possessing real humanity. Now, in Isaiah chapter 50, this contains one of the four servant songs. And, and that's very simply a prophetic word about Jesus Christ. And in verse 4 of Isaiah 50, it says this, And the Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. Okay, so th this gives us an amazing picture. Morning by morning, Jesus is woken up, goes to his quiet place, and he's taught by the Father. He learns spiritual things. His spiritual relationship grows and strengthens and remember there's no sin to hinder this process or this relationship okay it's always advancing it's always getting stronger and sweeter but what a staggering thought that jesus grew spiritually in his humanity okay this is part of what we mean when we say that jesus became man now much more uh, could be said about this. Uh, there are some very, very big books uh, written on all of this, if you're interested. Uh, each point could be elaborated in great detail. And uh, we are merely scratching the surface and we're trying to comprehend things that are far too deep and great for us. But even in this short study, really, it, it should stop us in our tracks as we think about these things. You know, it should fill us with awe and adoration for Jesus because how amazing, how astonishing that he would do all of this and that he would do this for us. Okay, okay, this is all part of the rules of engagement for his mission to save us. Yeah, and Jesus willingly and voluntarily humbled himself. Okay, it's not like he had a gun to his head being forced to do it. He did this willingly. Okay, he volunteered for this. 
Why? Well, because he loves his father primarily and he loves you and me. And if that doesn't thrill our soul, if that doesn't warm your heart tonight, if that doesn't grow your love for Jesus, I'm not sure what will. And this is the wonder of the Christmas story that Jesus would go to such great extremes for us. Okay, that the, the cross is, is the pinnacle. But there's, there's this whole 33 years where, where he lived as a man. Okay? And he did that in order to be our savior. Okay? That is astonishing. Okay? And here's the thing. Since Jesus experienced real and full humanity, okay, this is the point that I want to leave you with. Our God knows exactly what this life is is like and he knows exactly what we're going through jesus understands the struggles of this life because he has been here and he has experienced them jesus gets it and surely that that's a tremendous incentive to be walking close with him to be sharing your burdens with him because he gets it Jesus knows what it's like to be a child and the unique difficulties that children face. And that's something that we should be teaching our children. You know, Elizabeth, Harry, Gabriella, Archie, Jesus knows what it's like to be a kid. The struggles that you have, Jesus knows. What a wonderful thing to teach our kids. And you can talk to him about it. Oh, Jesus knows what it's like to grow and develop. He experienced all the moments of growing up jesus knows what it's like to learn to study to practice when you're frustrated with study or frustrated with practice jesus knows he knows how hard those things can be you know jesus worked as a carpenter for years he knows what it's like to work hard by the sweat of your brow when you're struggling with work, when it's hard, Jesus has been there. Jesus has worked hard. You know, he went to the synagogue and was taught by others, even though we probably could have done a, a much better job. You know, if you have frustrations with church, Jesus gets it. Jesus understands relational difficulties and conflict. You know, when, when we experience them, when we're brokenhearted, Jesus has been through them too. Remember, Jesus was betrayed and abandoned by his friends. Jesus was completely misunderstood by his own brothers. Okay, none of them understood who he was until after the resurrection. You know, Jesus knows the importance of reading the Bible and praying because he did it when he was here on earth. Jesus knows what it's like to experience the loss of loved ones. Death is something that he's very well acquainted with. Jesus knows what it's like to be misunderstood, misrepresented, and mistreated. Jesus knows the day-to-day -day grind of life because he lived it. So whatever it may be in your life, Jesus gets it because he's lived it. He knows what this world is like. He knows how hard it could be. He understands. And this is part of why Jesus is worth following. 
This is part of why Jesus is worth living for, because unlike any other supposed deity, he gets us and he gets this life because he has lived it. And this qualifies him perfectly to help you and I navigate it. This, my friend, is Jesus. This is who I present to you. Jesus is wonderful. You know, there is no one like him. And I trust you are walking closely with him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you uh, for, for this study that we've been able to do tonight. Uh, considering things that are, are very deep and challenging for us uh, to comprehend. Lord, I do pray that, that each of us tonight uh, would be struck uh, afresh uh, by how great uh, the Lord Jesus is. Please help us all to be growing uh, in our love for him and uh, help us uh, to be following him wholeheartedly. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.